Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Acts chapter 4 today. We're going to be reading verse 23 all the way to verse 31. So, If you've got your Bible, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read out loud all together as a family. If you'll indulge me, let's just read together. Verse 23, Acts 4. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So I want to remind you real quick, what we are witnessing here is Peter and John leaving the council of the religious elders that are not only pushing back, but persecuting the advancing of the gospel of Jesus as they were preaching and teaching and then healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. And so they've been arrested, they've been questioned, and they've been threatened. And so what is happening is the apostles are returning to their covenant community and they are testifying about their experience and the opposition that they've come into contact with as they have been sharing the gospel. So let's pick up here, verse 24. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said... Let's say that one more time. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now they're quoting Psalm 2 here. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Everybody say sovereignty. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Remember, every miracle done in the book of Acts is done in the name of of Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was, let's say it again, was, and they were all, and they were all with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Today, the title of the sermon is Earthquake Prayers earthquake prayers. We're going to pray some earthquake prayers today. Before you're seated, let's pray. Lord, we say thank you so much for the down payment on eternity of the Holy Spirit that you've deposited into each and every one of us as believers. 
We say thank you today as we lay hold of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit transforms us into better prayer warriors. We ask that a spirit of revelation would rest upon us today as we study your word. God, we ask that you would transform us. We ask that you'd baptize us. We ask that you'd fully possess us today, Holy Spirit, every square inch of who we are. Fill us to overflowing in the same way that you did the early church. Holy Spirit, we want you. Jesus, we desire you. All that we do today is done in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And the church said, amen Amen and amen. You can be seated. All right. Well, if you've been coming to church here throughout 2023, you know we've been in this sermon series called The Wine and the Wineskin. And as I mentioned, one of the things that we are looking to do is extract principles from the book of Acts to apply to our church. Now, through our study, which has been four chapters now of the book of Acts, we've been able to identify 11 marks of a book of Acts church. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna add a 12th mark of the book of Acts church. So let's go through, we'll review, and then we'll add this 12th one. These are the 12 marks of a book of Acts church so far. Mark number one is absolute obedience to Jesus. Now, I know we know this. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the chief apostle of the church. Jesus is the good shepherd. That means Jesus is in charge of his own house. How many of you guys are grateful that this house belongs to Jesus? This is not man's house. This isn't my house. This is not somebody's house who's a part of the staff here. This house, first and foremost, belongs to the Lord Jesus. Number two is Holy Spirit baptism. Number three is local under global evangelism or missions. Number four is God-ordained leadership. Number five is corporate encounter. Number six is Jesus-centered preaching. We must remember the sermons of the New Testament are not TED Talks. They're not personal development messages. They are Jesus-centered sermons. Jesus is central to the church. Therefore, Jesus is central to the sermons. All right, so you're always gonna see that in the book of Acts. Number seven is many salvations and baptisms. Number eight is devotion to church fellowship. Number nine is radical generosity. Number 10 is supernatural healing and miracles. Number 11, and this is the first unwelcome mark of the 12, right? Like we're good with blessing, but we don't want persecution. But unfortunately, if we are doing the will of God, there will be principalities and powers of darkness that will push back against the advancement of God's kingdom. And when that happens, persecution takes place against the body of Christ. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in 2023. And we should expect that as believers because Jesus promised us it would happen. So that's persecution. That's number 11. Now we're going to add a 12th one here, which is persistent prevailing prayer. Let's say those three words together. Persistent prevailing prayer. One more time. Persistent prevailing prayer. It's not just powerful prayer. It's persistent prayer. 
It's not just powerful when you do it every now and then. No, we are persistent and we are consistent. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. We are going to be continually devoted to the place and the posture of prayer. And we're not just praying little wimpy prayers. No, 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 we're praying prevailing prayers. That means we have an intention when we pray that our prayers are powerful and they are gonna produce a prevailing spirit. We are gonna overcome everything that tries to overcome us through prayer. That's right, we're gonna pray. If we don't do nothing else around here, we're gonna pray. I remember we had a guest not too long ago and uh, he texted me, he said, man, what y'all doing today? I said, man, we're doing prayer room. He said, y'all pray too much. (laughs) He was joking, you know, but I said, man, listen, we know where our power comes from. And that's the boiler room of our prayer closet. You show me somebody powerful in the Holy Ghost, I'll show you somebody devoted to the secret place. That's where the power comes from. Now, the interesting thing about this 12th point and how it comes about in this study today is that we are getting the privilege of studying an occurrence in the book of Acts, which is a prayer meeting. Now, normally when you study the New Testament, what are you gonna read? You're gonna read the gospels. You're gonna read the sermons of Christ Jesus. You're gonna get to listen in as he presents the tenets of his kingdom. Maybe perhaps you're gonna go to the epistles and you're gonna study the letters and you're gonna look at how Apostle Paul, as a spiritual father, is writing letters to church that he helped plant, but not today. We're not looking at history today alone. We're actually getting the opportunity to read a transcribed prayer that is 2,000 years old that your great, 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 I don't know how many greats, it's a lot of greats, grandfathers and grandmothers in the faith prayed and that somebody wrote down, almost like recording a voice memo, that we now get to study today as we examine their prayer journals. That's pretty cool. I don't know if y'all think that's cool, and I think that's cool. Anybody got an Ancestry.com account? All right, yeah, you got like another, me too. Six people in the room. Like I feel very nerdy when I get onto Ancestry.com because I'm gonna go through my you know, family tree and reading the book of Acts is kind of like researching your family tree on Ancestry.com. Like you get to know your forefathers and your foremothers in the Christian faith and in the spirit. And in this particular situation, we get to read a prayer that they prayed 2,000 years ago, which is kind of like reading their prayer journal. I don't know about you, but I think that's really cool. It's like we get to study what the first church prayed exactly by looking at this transcribed prayer. I don't know if you think that's cool but I think that's pretty cool. It's not the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts. It's not the last prayer meeting in the book of Acts, but it's the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts where we get to listen to what they prayed, which I think is very, very significant. I think it's significant because we know that God liked this prayer meeting. He enjoyed it. God liked this prayer meeting. How do we know? Because God responded to this prayer meeting with both power and presence. God enjoyed this prayer meeting, therefore he responded. Whenever we pray and we host prayer meetings, whenever we worship and we have Sunday services, our goal 
must be the same as it was in Acts chapter four. Our goal must be to pray in such a way that God is blessed by our prayers and therefore desires to show up in our midst with power. The mark of a good prayer meeting is not us leaving the room feeling better about ourselves. I mean, you may get that opportunity to leave feeling better about yourself because of what God does, but the goal of the prayer meeting is not just to encourage you. The goal of our services must be that we would pray and worship and preach and fellowship in such a way that God is so blessed that he cannot help himself but respond to our meetings. Like whenever Jeremiah said, the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro the earth, looking for hearts that completely belong to him so that he can involve himself in all of their affairs. That is the type of church that we wanna be. We wanna pray these earthquake prayers that grab the attention of God. A great prayer warrior is not somebody who's incredibly articulate when they pray publicly. A great prayer warrior is someone that pays so much attention to God in prayer that God pays attention to them when they are praying. That's who a great prayer warrior is. A great prayer warrior understands how to move the heart of their father. They move the heart of God. They may not yell, they may not stomp, they may not dance, they may not jump around, and they may not shout. But whenever they pray, the atmosphere shifts. You ever been around somebody before? It's like they just start praying and you just notice the whole room gets a few degrees hotter. That's an earthquake prayer. I remember when I was a kid, my pastor telling me, son, you are not called to be a thermometer. What do you mean by that? You're not called to go into the room and take the spiritual temperature of the room and then submit yourself to that. You are called to be a thermostat, son. You are called to come into the room and set the spiritual climate in that room through your prayers. By agreeing with the will of God and what he wants to release into the atmosphere, you release that through your lips by faith and watch as he shifts the atmosphere. That's earthquake praying right there. That's some earthquake praying right there. I believe I got some people in the third service that want to pray some earthquake prayers. That's a real prayer warrior. It's not somebody who's articulate and stylistic. It's not about a style of prayer, but it is about the substance that is produced by faith through the prayer. This is not about style. This is not being cute or fancy when we pray. This is about grabbing hold of the heart of the Father and releasing his will into the earth in this hour. Earthquake praying is not a style of prayer. It's a prayer that moves the heart of God. And the kind of prayer church that moves the heart of God is the prayer that is in alignment with his will. If you want a key to getting your prayers answered more frequently, then pray the will of God. Pray the will of God. It's already in his heart to do it anyway. That's why it's his will. Pray the will of God. And we know that they were doing that in Acts 4 because of how God responds to their prayer. Look at verse 31. It says, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Could you imagine if we got together on a Sunday morning and this sanctuary shook? as a result of the Holy Spirit responding to our prayers. Could you imagine that? How many of you guys would just like run? Like, ah, I'm out. 
Hey, listen, that's why they call it the fear of the Lord, right? You have a real encounter with God, you're going to get scared. Hey, tell me I'm lying. People in the room who've had a real encounter with God. Rule 66, don't touch the angel's sword. Listen, you have an angelic encounter, tell me you don't come away fearful for your life. Why is that? Because when we have encounters with God, we recognize how small and how sinful we actually are. You think you're righteous until you come before a holy God, and then you realize, you know what? My righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. I don't think I got it going on now that I've seen Jesus. And that's a key to not being holier than thou. And having a religious spirit is having regular encounters with the Holy Spirit so that you can be humbled by them and recognize that you are nobody unless he moves through you. An arrogant Christian is actually an oxymoron. Right? Whenever a Christian becomes arrogant, all they're doing is, is revealing that it's been a while since their last encounter. Oh, it's just been a little while since you've seen him. You've been looking in the mirror a little bit too much. You believe in your own hype. You're starting to buy into your own press. I think you need to see him because when you see him, you'll realize how small you are and how much in need you are of his spirit to fill you and to pick you up with his power and to send you out to do his will. That's why it's important. So the, the, the place that they're, they're filled and it's, it's shaken and the Holy Spirit comes and fills all of the disciples and then what happens? They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice preaching the word of God with boldness is a byproduct of being filled. It's a byproduct of being filled. You know, I've often said that I don't think evangelism is a personality problem. It's an issue of fullness. <laughs> when God is moved by our praying, he often responds in at least two ways. He responds with power and he responds with presence. Now, before I go into the power and talk about the earthquake, I wanna talk about presence and I wanna talk about what happened. Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians that there is only one spiritual baptism, at least one authentic spiritual baptism, the baptism that Yahweh provides. One spirit, one faith, one baptism, one body. Y'all remember that? There is one baptism, one Holy Spirit baptism, but there are many infillings. So it's absolutely appropriate for you to tell me, I have received, past tense, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is true. You have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, me too. But once upon a time is not gonna get you through. Yes, you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you need a fresh infilling. So you'll see in the book of Acts, there is only one spiritual baptism, but there is many infillings. I remember Mama Heidi used to tell us the problem with human beings is that we are broken, leaky vessels. We leak, so we need to be filled up again and again. Every single day, we need to be filled up again and again. That's why whenever the disciples asked Jesus, can you teach us how to pray, Lord? He said, yeah, pray like this. Get your daily bread, because you can't live off of leftovers. That manna gets stale after a day. 
You need fresh bread. You need to be filled with spiritual sustenance. You need to be filled over and over and over again. The people that were filled by the Holy Spirit in this prayer meeting had been filled before, but they acknowledged their need to be filled again. And that's what earthquake praying is. It is a prayer of dependency. I need to be filled again because I've got an assignment. The will of the Lord in my life is to do a certain thing. And for these believers, just like for us as believers, it was to continue to preach the word of God with Boldness. They knew that their assignment would be impossible unless they had the Holy Spirit. They said, I can't continue to preach with boldness unless I am filled. Boldness is a byproduct of filling. If you're scared, you're not full. That, that, that just, maybe that's the way that I would say it. Jesus had told them what his will was. Matthew chapter 28, the great commission. How many of you guys know it doesn't say the great suggestion? <laughs> the great commission is a commandment. So when we ignore the great commission, we ignore Jesus. And remember, Jesus is God. <laughs> this is too heavy for the third service, isn't it, man? We had Abby and Gabriel, and now I'm just too hype. <laughs> Jesus had told them what his will was. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to share the gospel. And so these earthquake prayers, they were prayers of dependency. They were saying, we need your spirit. If we're gonna accomplish your will, we need to be filled again. And we all need to be filled again and again and again. If you're gonna be a good evangelist, if you're gonna be a good preacher, if you're gonna be a good prayer warrior, if you're gonna be a good worship leader, if you're gonna be a good teacher, you don't need to have a certain personality, but you do need to be full. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Fear and timidity to speak the word of God goes away when you're full. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and tell me if you have a problem witnessing. You won't, I promise you. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, there is no space left for fear. It's like this water bottle right here, filled to overflowing. Where can I fit the fear in it? There's no space left for fear whenever you're full. A good preacher is not an articulate speaker, it's a full preacher. A good prayer warrior is not somebody who is fashionable with the microphone, it is a full prayer warrior. It's just being filled. That is the type of person that prays earthquake prayers. And you're gonna need to be able to pray earthquake prayers, especially when you go through what these disciples were going through as they suffered persecution. They were experiencing pushback and persecution. And that was the reason for this prayer meeting. They had come away from the trial and they had come away from the threats and they went back to the community as we talked about and they start having this prayer meeting and that explains exactly why they were so dependent. They said, we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit again if we're gonna face this opposition in our life. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again if you're gonna face opposition. 
Because persecution and pushback actually snuffs out nominal Christianity. Let me say it again. Persecution and pushback snuffs out nominal Christianity. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you really can't be stopped. And this is exactly why we need earthquake praying. Earthquake praying is not a style of prayer, but it is praying in the face of adversity. I want to preach to people who do not allow their circumstance to determine their worship, but they allow their worship to determine their circumstance. I know sometimes you go through a hard week and maybe you're one of those people, your regular spot in the altar during worship is right here front and center. Now, I know that's not everybody, but some of you, you know, you're like, that's you every single Sunday. And then you go through a hard week and you're like, I'm gonna stand in the back. So you're gonna let your circumstance determine your worship. Okay, got it. Earthquake praying is saying, no, I'm not gonna let my circumstance determine my worship. I'm gonna let my worship determine my circumstance. I'm gonna worship till something changes. I'm gonna pray until the atmosphere shifts. I'm gonna pray until I experience breakthrough. I'm gonna pray earthquake prayers. But what is the temptation each and every time we experience pushback? The enemy always tells you, don't pray. Right? Because when we go through persecution or setback or pushback, it's normal for us to feel saddened by that. And the enemy will partner with that sadness and suggest to us that God has forgotten about us. And so as a means to punish God, he tempts us to withhold our prayers from God. Do y'all have this type of relationship with Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you get mad at God. You're like, I ain't gonna pray today. You know, you know what I'm talking about. For all the married people in the room, whenever you're mad at your spouse, you withhold your affection as a means of punishment because you're upset with them and their behavior. Tell me you don't do that with God. God, you didn't give me what I told you I wanted. I'm sorry, I forgot that God was Santa Claus. I'm angry with you because you didn't bring me a date on my timetable. I'm upset with you, God, because you didn't give me a new job and you knew my bills were coming. Oh, y'all, don't play with me, third service. I know who I'm talking to. People who come to the third service, y'all mostly been Christians for a minute, so I know you've played this game with God before. Oh, I see you, God. That person came and prophesied over me that I was blessed and highly favored. Well, I don't feel very blessed and highly favored right now. I mean, I'm having conversations like that with God. I'm sorry to tell you, I don't mean to expose myself as your pastor, but I am having conversations like that with God. I will tell the Lord, I am so mad at you. No, I'm not gonna pray on my way to work. Isn't that always the temptation of the enemy when we go through pushback or setback? The enemy always tells us, stop praying. God does not care what you're going through. But you see, whenever we pray, we stay full. 
and God wants us full. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us. But if the enemy can tempt us into prayerlessness, then he can get us empty. And empty Christians are not powerful Christians, if the enemy can get you to stop praying, he can get you empty. And an empty Christian, just like a spiritually empty church, has nearly no ability to recover from opposition. When your car is empty, what does it do? Quits. Stops, right? Empty Christians quit. Prayerless Christians, they quit. Prayerless churches, they quit. Why? Because they're not full. When you're full, you've got longevity. Let me say it again. When you're full, you've got longevity. I think burnout's an intimacy issue. Well, I'm burned out by that church. They wanted me to serve twice a month. How dare you expect me as a Christian to give an hour and a half every month to God? <laughs> I don't wait what so you tithe your money to God but you won't tithe your time got it <laughs> I didn't do this in the other services but it's the third service and I have been very spicy all day I just want you guys to know I don't know what's happening right now but it's the Sunday after Easter and I'm excited but I really think that a lack of intimacy is what leads us to burnout. I don't necessarily think that it's overwork as often, it, often as it is under prayer. Well, I did ministry so long, I'm just burnt out. You did ministry without being full. The ministry is not the problem, you're just empty. Well, you've been pushing me too hard. You've been praying? No. I'm trying to figure out how I'm the problem here. <laughs> You've been fasting? No. I can tell. You're edgy. Go ahead. But it's true. Like, literally, I think a majority of our issues can be traced back to the lack of intimacy with God. So I really think it's important that we examine how they prayed. Because I think, unfortunately, for many of us, we have been stuck in this cycle of what culture suggests we should receive whenever God doesn't do things according to our will. And I don't know, I don't know, you know how you would experience persecution. I know how I experience pushback. And it's always very difficult to experience setback. The enemy's always trying to tempt me to forget about who God is and what God has said. But if we were to examine what I'm gonna call the earthquake protocol, the earthquake protocol, like how to pray earthquake prayers. I want you to look at Acts chapter four with me and recognize that they did two things whenever they prayed. Number one, they acknowledged. Everybody say acknowledge. acknowledge. And number two, they ask. Everybody say ask. ask. Notice that they not, did not ask before they acknowledged. How often do we come into a place of prayer asking right away? God is not amazon.com one click. Right? Like ask, ask, ask. 
Listen, if the only time that you pray is when you ask God for stuff, God will bless you by not giving it to you. It's true. Because if I knew what my wife wanted and I knew that she was gonna stop talking to me when I gave it to her, I would never give it to her. Because I care more about our intimacy and our connection than I do her temporary blessing. So you gotta understand the protocol here is the first thing that they did was acknowledge. Now, what did they acknowledge? The first thing they acknowledged was God's sovereignty. Everybody say sovereignty. And if you didn't grow up reformed, you're like, what is that? If you grew up charismatic, you're like, hold on, wait, what, sovereignty? I didn't hear a lot of messages in the Pentecostal church growing up about sovereignty. But let me just simplify it real quick. Here's what God's sovereignty is. God's sovereignty is that God can do what God wants to do when God wants to do it. How's that? Just a simple definition. And that's what we see actually as they were finishing up the first part of their prayer in verse 28, whenever they prayed and they said, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, everybody say sovereignty, to take place. What are they doing in this moment? They are acknowledging that God is in charge. Despite the persecution, despite the pushback, despite the pain, despite the heartache, despite what it is that they were going through, they still acknowledged that God was King of kings and Lord of lords and that God is great. That's where they started. God is good and my circumstance is not gonna move me off the foundation of that revelation. God is good all the time and all the time, God is good, right? Now we repeat that in church, but let us go through something like a flat tire on the interstate and all of a sudden we're like, God, you're not good. (laughs) Imagine going through persecution. How did they pray? You would think that they would have come into a place of prayer and been like, bad God. Abusive God unfair, unjust God. These people were threatened by the exact same leaders that had just crucified their discipler. They were going through harder things than any of us have ever faced. And yet when they went into the prayer closet, they did not accuse God of being unjust. They said, sovereign God. And then they began to recite the reality of who God is. They said, you're the creator. You created the heavens and the earth. You created the land and the sea and you put all the fish in the sea. I mean, you see how they're reciting and what they're doing is they're reminding themselves of who God is. Notice God does not need a reminder. He does not forget who he is. God does not go through an identity crisis. He does not need to be reminded of who he is, but we need to be reminded of who he is, which is why we go into a place of prayer and we begin to praise God for who he is. And then that reminds our spirit and activates our faith and we remember, hold on, wait just a second. I am not the tail. I'm the head. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. That's what's called encouraging yourself in the Lord. That's like whenever David went into the tent. Y'all remember that? He goes into the tent. Why is that? Because his family, the women and the children have been kidnapped. He probably went into the tent sad, but he came out full. 
And that's earthquake praying right there. It's, it's, it's reminding yourself who God is until you're filled. Now, here's the second thing that they acknowledge. They acknowledge God's word. They did not just remind themselves of who God is. They reminded themselves of what God has said. Now, when you're praying earthquake prayers, let me tell you how to pray powerfully. Pray this. Not your opinion. The devil's not afraid of a word you don't believe. Shouting your feelings into the darkness is not gonna cause demons to flee. But when you pray this, which God said is sharper than any two-edged sword, you can cut in half bone from muscle. I mean, that is accurate. That is precise. That is pinpoint prophetic accuracy. What did Jesus do when he went through his temptations in the wilderness? He responded to every temptation with what? The word of God, the scripture. And what is the church doing here in Acts chapter four? They are responding to push back with what? Scripture. And so what we're watching them do is we're watching them, we're watching them wield the sword rightly. The right way to use this offensive weapon that God has put into your hands, the sword, is to apply the right word in the right time. And that's why we need to study to show ourselves approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth, Peter says. That's why, because we need to be able to handle our sword in the season that it is needed most. And it's not just shouting any old scripture that we don't have any history with. It's taking the right scripture in the right moment and applying it at the right time and wielding the sword properly and saying, enemy, you're not gonna get me to stop praying. I've got a word for you. God has spoken this and promised this for my life. And I'm not only gonna remind myself of it in this situation, I'm, rem I'm gonna remind hell of it too. Oh, you must've forgot. I'm a child of God. Oh, I see you have forgotten. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God said he is a strong tower in which the righteous retreat into. You can't touch me, devil. I am protected. I draw a bloodline around my kids. I draw a bloodline around my house. The blood of Jesus is against you, Satan. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. I'm talking about earthquake praying. I hope I'm building somebody's confidence in here today because I wanna see you more bold in the prayer closet. Don't pray wimpy prayers. Don't pray reluctant prayers. I want you to pray bold prayers. Knowing, man, the Holy Spirit is with me. He'll shake this place if he wants to. He'll move in power. Are you with me? All right. So I'm gonna finish with this. The, the last thing they did was they asked. After they had acknowledged, what did they do? They asked. You know, James talks about when you pray, you don't receive the answer to your prayers because you ask amiss. The definition of asking amiss is asking outside of the will of God. My pastor taught me that when I pray against the will of God unknowingly, I pray witchcraft prayers. That's one of the reasons why you wanna to listen to God speak to you about a person before you start telling God about a person. <laughs> She's the worst. God's like, hold on, wait, I love my daughter. 
You know how many times I've been driving on my way to a meeting complaining to God about a person? They're terrible. I can't stand them. God's like, hold on, wait. Bro, you want to know how I feel about that person? No, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Because you're like, I want to rebuke them. It's like, they're going to suffer the wrath. And God's like, hold on, I want you to bless them. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, you guys know, I can already tell. There's some people in the room today. You're like, yeah, 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 I've been there. I've done that. I know what you're talking about, Pastor. Yeah, I've, I've been there more times than I want to acknowledge. But whenever we're listening to God and allowing him to give us his will to know how to pray, we ask accurately. And that's why it's important that we activate our faith through acknowledgement, through acknowledging God's sovereignty and acknowledging what God has said. And then and only then do we ask because we ask then with accuracy. And what's interesting is that you would think that whenever the disciples began to ask that they would have asked for their protection, but they didn't. They ask for boldness. This, this is why earthquake protocol is important is because if you run in and you just ask, 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 I would assume that they would probably have asked for their safety. But you know that God doesn't promise you your safety, but he does promise you his presence. That's reality. As we've studied persecution, we should all know now that's reality. He promises you his presence and in his presence is the power that brings earthquakes and that changes the atmosphere and sows seeds of the message of Jesus into hearts. Even through the foolishness of preaching, God chooses to use that to save people's lives. And when they began to ask, they said, give us boldness, give us boldness, give us boldness so that we can do your will, so that we can do what you've commissioned us to do. You told us to preach the gospel. God, we ask you for boldness. We ask you for boldness. And God did what? Gave them boldness. He gave them exactly what they asked for. They asked accurately and God responded specifically. That's earthquake protocol. Now, this wasn't the only time in the book of Acts that an earthquake showed up. Earthquakes show up when full people pray. In Acts chapter 16, you got Paul and Silas. And I've actually seen recently, I was watching a YouTube video, it's like a Bible history. And the prison that Paul and Silas were in is not a prison that you'd ever wanna be in because they would have to lower you through a hole in the floor down to the bottom of this dungeon where the sewage would leak into. And then they would shackle you so that you couldn't move, you had no mobility. And there's Paul and Silas after midnight, pushback, persecution, assaulted, taunted, no food, no water, in chains, in a dungeon, sewage possibly, falling on them and yet there they are after midnight instead of using the opportunity to sneak in some sleep knowing the next day would probably be difficult they were so full that they could not stop singing with hymns and with psalms rejoicing in the Lord acknowledging what this is who God is 
Acknowledging what? This is what God has said and they're singing it. I don't know if they asked to be freed from their chains, but I do know that God responded with another earthquake and the chains fell off and the shackles had to go. They were so full and they prayed some earthquake prayers. I don't know about you, but I wanna be somebody who prays earthquake prayers. Anybody else in the room? Come on, let's stand, we're gonna pray. And we're gonna ask the Lord to just take hold of us today. Take hold of us with the spirit of prayer. Would you be so bold as to pray and ask God to take hold of you with a spirit of prayer? Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name. We ask now in Jesus' name that you would take hold of us with a spirit of prayer. God, we wanna witness the ministry of Jesus, but before we get the ministry of Jesus, we know we need the prayer life of Jesus. And so we're asking you for the prayer life of Jesus that you would put a consecration on us in this post Easter season that we would long to fellowship with God unlike we ever have before. God, we ask that you would give us a broken and contrite spirit before you, that we would have clean hands and a pure heart, that we would submit ourselves to your will. Long before telling you what we want, God, we wanna ask what it is that you want. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister to us this morning in your sanctuary and that you would help us as we take a step forward today to receiving the prayer life of Jesus. So everybody just say, Jesus, Jesus give, me give me your prayer life. Your prayer life. Jesus, give us your prayer life. That's what we're asking for this morning, God. I pray that you would set us on fire with a spirit of prayer, a spirit of communion, a spirit of fellowship with the Father. I ask you for it in Jesus' name today. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said... Can we bless the Lord all together? Thank Him. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.